Thank you for joining us on After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud, which is available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or head on over to America Out Loud and click on the Listen Lab tab for 24-7 talk radio. Not just America Out Loud, but you have so many other podcasts that are there, and they are discussing the issues of the day. So go be entertained, become informed, because we know right now, all we have is CNN, MSNBC, Washington Post, and the New York Times. And they're not necessarily covering the stories that we want to hear. And if they are, their stories are biased. Now, that's not to say that sometimes I can't give my opinion, but I can be objective. And I'll tell you when it's my opinion. But when you look at those news organizations that you would think would be fair and accurate, they're not being fair and they're not being accurate. And they're not holding our elected officials accountable. So go on over to AmericaOutloud.com and tune into hours of good listening podcast. Now, just in case you didn't know, we're now on at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Instead of 9 p.m., we're 10 p.m., but still Monday through Friday, bringing you great news, coverage, and analysis. My co-host tonight is Heather Robinson, journalist from the New York Post. And we want to talk about Benjamin Netanyahu just recently became prime minister again after the liberal media had written his obituary, his death notice, and said, he's done, he's finished, it's over. And as I've said recently on our show, I do believe that many on the left, Democrats, they want it to be that way. They want to write his obituary, his death sentence, and say, he's done, no more. But he's back. And Heather has been looking at his comeback, as well as other articles that are related to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Recently, she did a piece, I think it was for the, was it the Jewish? New Syndicate. New Syndicate. Mm -hmm. And it was on Seth Rogen, a rather outspoken entertainer, actor, if you want to say, I don't like anything that he's been at. But she recently did a piece. And it's rather an eye-opening piece, and it's definitely uh, a timely piece considering what we're going through right now in Israel. I read the other day that Benjamin Netanyahu is looking at, I think, establishing more settlements in the West Bank. And there was a huge protest with people saying that it shouldn't happen. You have a lot of folks here in America saying that we shouldn't even recognize Israel. You look at the uh, congressmen that are in office, Rachida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. I think that they're radicals. I don't know how they got into office, but they managed to get there. So Heather is on to talk about her latest piece on Seth Rogen. Heather, how are you tonight? I'm great, Rob. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Now, Seth Rogen is Jewish, is he not? Mm -hmm. Yes, he is. So he's come out with some rather controversial things. And then there's a group of people that are saying, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't be honoring him. Give us the background on this piece, please. Sure, Rob. Well, uh, I'm a a couple years ago, Seth Rogen made some inflammatory comments on a podcast uh, um, with a, a guy named Mark Marin, who's also a comedian, I believe. I'd never heard of him before. But uh, before I wrote about this, I made sure to listen to the entire podcast because okay. episode, because, you know, we know that sometimes things can be taken out of context. But he was basically very much dunking on Israel, Seth Rogen, during this podcast. He was talking about how, as an American Jew, he went to some, he was actually Canadian, excuse me, Jew. He went to some uh, summer camps where he says he was misinformed about Israel and that uh, nobody told him there were other people there when uh, 
uh, modern, uh, you know, Israelis uh, resettled biblical Israel, and that um, that that he doesn't think Israel should. Ex well, he didn't exactly say that. He said he thinks the whole concept of Israel is silly. I'm paraphrasing, but he used the word silly because he doesn't believe in religion, and if um, the reason that Israel exists is for Jewish security. It makes no sense to him because it just it just it just puts all the Jew, a lot of Jews in one place. And essentially, he was you know he made several comments very dismissive of of modern Israel and its existence. Um, now we know that for most Jewish people who care about our continuity and about our lives. Israel is very important. It's uh, the historical and biblical Jewish homeland, and it's a place that the Jews have been indigenous to, continuously lived. You know, some Jews have lived there for for millennia, and some uh, returned after the Holocaust. Those you know who were left after that devastation in Europe. And one thing that uh, a lot of people even who aren't Jewish understand is that if there had been an Israel during the Holocaust, there would have been a place for Jews to go because a big part of what happened in the Holocaust, it was, it was Hitler's evil plan. But until the quote unquote final solution, until the, the gas chambers were built and the concentration camps were built, Hitler, you know, and this is nothing, <laughs> I'm not trying to in any way downplay the evil of Hitler, but the initial uh, demand of Hitler was that the Jews leave. And part of what happened is most countries would not allow, would not admit Jews. There was nowhere for Jews to go, uh, even our own great country. And it's a black mark on us. You didn't take very many refugees. And there was this was part of the devastation, millions and millions of people with nowhere to go. And this is a big part of not the whole story, but it's a piece of why modern Israel is very important to Jewish people. So essentially, you know, Rogan gave this interview in which he was completely uh, insensitive to and dismissive of one of the major pillars of Israel's existence. And then he recently was uh, featured by an organization called the, the Jewish um the Conference of Jewish Material Claims Against Germany, the Claims Conference, which is the organization that coordinates with the German government to um, to allocate uh, reparations and resources to Jewish survivors, Holocaust survivors. And generally speaking, you know, it's not a lot of money, but it's some Holocaust survivors are poor. A lot of people don't realize that most of them, you know, they all basically lost everything. I mean, anyone who survived their family had nothing and had all been taken by the Nazis. So, you know, many Holocaust survivors never did really recover anything. And, you know, some of them live below the poverty line today. And so the claims conference helps to get them, some of them a stipend. So it's an important Jewish organization. And they honored Seth Rogen recently in a, um, an event specifically to honor and recognize living Holocaust survivors. It was a virtual Hanukkah party. So, so my, my bosses at JNS felt it was, uh, you know, an important question to be asking, should someone who has, has been dismissive, has not, you know, forget about not stood by Israel, who's at, who's publicly spoken about against the existence of Israel, um, questioned it at any rate, you know, should he be chosen as a uh, headliner for an event, um, you know, for Holocaust survivors, you know, and, and is this not ironic that when Israel 
you know, is so essential to Jewish continuity in the minds of most Jewish people and was, you know, so, so sorely needed during the Holocaust, you know, is it not very, the, the height of irony to honor someone, a Jewish uh, public figure who, who, you know, is part of a Holocaust survivor uh, recognition who publicly dunks on and dismisses the value of Israel. So that's what the piece was about. It was interviewing various Jewish leaders and there was also some other things in, in Rogan's background that came out during the course of my research into this, such as that he participated in an online uh, bullying of a, a Zionist journalist named Eve Barlow uh, a couple years back. Um, it's actually a very, uh, it's almost embarrassing what happened. I mean, this, this young woman is a very... Uh, brave and and rigorous uh, defender of uh, a lot of the facts surrounding Israel's uh, need for defense. And she was being mobbed online by anti-Zionists and anti-Semites. And they were calling her all kinds of names, thousands and thousands of people. You know how sometimes people get on Twitter, Rob. And Seth Rogen joined in this. They were, you know, nicknaming her Eve Fartlow. They were trying to ridicule her and demean her and he participated in this so that was another um you know another uh piece of uh the past that emerged and you know that that was relevant um my editors felt and i felt as well so that's what i was writing about and there were you know there was a range of opinion most of the leadership uh of the jewish community you know did not feel rogan deserved this this honor or that it was appropriate but some said you know look um, we don't want to practice cancel culture. Uh, you know, if he's doing the right thing now, if he is trying to be positive, we should let him do that. So that was it in essence. So Heather, I was looking up Seth Rogen. It's not as if though he's some young kid not knowing what he's saying or that his words matter. You think back in the summer, spring and summer of 2020, 2021, during mm -hmm. the entire Black Lives movement, he was very vocal and had a lot to say. And what I find interesting and, da and dangerous at the same time is that as individuals like Seth Rogen, who should know history, they should know these things. That's right. I definitely and, don't think he, yeah, yeah, he and does. They, they're either choosing to just dismiss it and come up with their own facts, because even if you were to question it and do your research, it's like, here it is right here. What are you saying? What are you doing? And he got in a lot of trouble doing Black Lives Matter because some of the things that he had said and some of the things that he was doing. So then it goes to the question that you look at our young people who are just like being introduced to history and knowing about certain things. If you have individuals who know history that are trying to change it, and then they're trying to prey on our younger generation, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. We are in trouble because you have people who want to be history revisionists they want to write mm -hmm. the history that they think it should be. History history isn't clean by any means. It's dirty. It's dark. It's still our history. And we have mm -hmm. to learn from it. Because when we don't, we're doomed to repeat it. Yes. For him to yeah. come out and say some of the things that he's saying, I can understand why people are pushing back and saying, wait a minute. I mean, you yourself have come on here and you said, no, you know, there are some things that I agree with what Benjamin Netanyahu is doing. There are certain things I don't, but I think that in order for us to get have peace, both sides need to come together and work this out. 
But to say, oh, no, they've been lying to me. There were other people that were there because these people shouldn't be there. I mean, he's buying into the narrative. Yes, yes. That these radicals want people to buy into. And that's extremely dangerous. And the reality is very much different. I mean, sure, there were were people there, but most of the land was that is current modern Israel was not even populated at all when the... um, Zionist settlers returned to Israel and and it it was purchased from Ottoman landlords. It was an Ottoman territory then. I mean, you know, it's not as if it was seized from people and they were not given, it was actually purchased at very, very high prices by a Jewish national fund and other Jewish organizations who raised money from Jews all throughout the world. So there's, there's a lot of uh, history there and a lot of nuance to the way, to the inception of modern Israel that, that he has, he doesn't seem to even know about. Um, He's just buying the most kind of slanted and one-sided and overly simplified um, version of what happened from people who don't believe Israel has the right to exist. And so they, you know, they ignore the Jewish presence in that land, the indigenous Jewish presence in that land, all the efforts that were made to be respectful of, of the other people who were there. Um, you know, the efforts in terms of the purchase of the land, in terms of offering concessions and a, a Palestinian state, which was rejected um, at the time that modern Israel was established. Um, you know, he ignores all of that and he, um, yeah, doesn't seem to want to really educate people, uh, you know, and even if he does want to say that, look, there are these other people and some of them were there and they have their side of the story. I mean, that's, that's, I respect that, but that's not what he's saying. I mean, he's, he's going way beyond that. He's saying that, you know, that everybody who talks about Israel's rights and the rights of Jewish people who are indigenous to that land also is lying to him, you know, so he's just like bought hook, line and sinker, the most hard left. Yes. Historical revisionism. Because that's right. Because that's what is popular right now. He feels that I can be accepted. People will say, wow, look at what he's saying and look Mm -hmm. at what he's doing. And again, that's just a a page from the, from the left's handbook. They're radicals. And they don't care what they're saying. They don't care about who is going to harm or affect. They just want to say it. And if they're able to get people on board with them. Now, you think about how they call Republicans white supremacists and racists. But mm-hmm. when it comes to that, these people are like seem to be immune. They can say whatever they want to say, Rashida Tlaib, Nilian Omar, and then they get people to back them and to support them, which is extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how, when they say it, it's it's propaganda. Right. And, and you look at Maxine Waters, some of the most vitriol things that she said. Maxine Waters mm-hmm. has said some of the most vicious things, and she's not held accountable. Right. And then when we right. have these attacks on different people, on synagogues, and people, oh no, 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 it's the right, it's the left. They're it's they're 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 saying this. It's like, no, you guys are the ones, you're putting this in people's head. And for him to come out, an actor, and say this, who has a platform who has the stage is extremely dangerous i would say mm-hmm. yes it's spreading misinformation you know it's, it's there's very, a misinformation right right one-sided, there you know very much an anti-israel perspective and look you know he has he's, he has the right to his ignorant views 
but the issue here was should a, uh, you know an important Jewish organization be including him as a headliner in an event to honor living Holocaust survivors. So, so I would find was, it offensive. I, I would find it offensive because once he's giving us, no, and I don't even consider it as counseling him, but once you give someone like that a platform, the microphone with their views is extremely dangerous. Look at how they, they view Kanye West. Oh, well, we shouldn't do, he, he's, he's, he's evil. He look at all the things he's saying. He shouldn't have a platform, but yet and still, it's okay to give Seth a platform because mm-hmm. it's what the left like as i said before we have to shut this down this stuff is really i mean i thought it was awful and i thought it was obviously so you know in it but in some ways you could say this is more insidious this isn't you know coming out and being just being a hater which is you know what kanye did which was lousy but you know anybody with the brain could see that and it's obvious and they can hopefully reject it i mean this is more uh sneaky this is like this is what maybe he really believes or whatever. Maybe he just has some issue, but you know, it's, it's couched in this pseudo intellectualism, which if you don't know much about the region, you know, you, it's basically spreading misinformation. So I would say. And pseudo intellectualism, like you said, Mm -hmm. that's what Mm -hmm. it is. So no one will challenge him. No one will say anything because they will assume, Oh, what he's saying is right. When in actuality, it isn't. And it is dangerous and insidious. And we have to start putting a full stop on these individuals because the longer they're able to have this platform and to get away with what they're saying without impunity, like, oh, I can just say it. No one's going to say anything. It's dangerous because it harms lives. Now, we're up against a hard break. But I, when we come back, I want to talk about Benjamin Netanyahu and what you think should he have come back? Do you think that this is positive for the Jewish community, for Israel? Mm-hmm. And what do you think him being in that position? What, what's next, I guess, compared to the previous gentleman that had it? So you're tuned in to After Dark with Robin Andrew, my special co-host, Heather Robinson. We'll be back. Stay tuned. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, You're ready for anything. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. And we're back for the second half of After Dark with Robin Andrew and my special co-host tonight, Heather Robinson. And tonight we're talking about Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. The first segment we spoke about Seth Rogen. 
and some of the things that he's doing and Heather was giving her thoughts on that because she had written a piece about it. Now, the second half of the show, as I was teasing, I want to get her thoughts on Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And I'm probably mispronouncing it. Is it Netanyahu? Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Like Yahoo. Okay. Yeah, Yahoo. Uh Yahoo. So because he served as prime minister, I think this is probably his, is it his third round? I believe so. As prime minister. And there at times there seemed to be a love, a love hate relationship with him, depending on with the United States, depending on which president is in office. I will say that when Barack Obama was in office, I don't think there was any love loss. And Mm -hmm. I would go on record in saying that I think that during one of the elections, he actively tried to interfere fear in the election so that Benjamin would not be elected. No, he will deny it. But when you look at what happened, you look Mm -hmm. at we had emissaries that were there. It's like, no, it's clear Mm -hmm. that he didn't get along with them. And I don't think Benjamin got along with him either. I think that Bill Clinton did get along with Benjamin and Donald Trump without saying he moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He Mm -hmm. said he was going to do it. Other people had said they were going to do it. George Bush, both Bushes said they were going to do it. But Donald Trump actually did it. He is a friend of Israel and the Jewish community community. Despite what the media says, that Trump hates Jews and he doesn't like Jews and this, and it's like, it's all fabrication. They do it because they know that they can, and they know that the American people won't push back and say, this makes absolutely no sense at all. Because if he hated Israel, if he hated the Jewish community, why would he move the capital to Jerusalem? Why would he and his son-in-law work with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia so that now planes are flying from Israel to Saudi Arabia. I mean, that is, was never heard of, and they're using their airspace. That has never happened. That is huge. But still, you have the naysayers mm-hmm. that will say, mm-hmm. oh, no, that's, no that's, that's nothing. You know, Barack Obama did, he did much better. What did he do exactly besides well, call for a criminy? Go ahead, Heather. Well, in fairness, Rob, Obama wasn't universally terrible with Israel because what he did, you know, and I can speculate as to why, I mean, I think he, he was not as big a supporter of a strong Israel, but he didn't, I don't think Obama hated it. I mean, he, he, he did allocate a lot of money. We know Obama did a lot of spending in general, and he, he helped Israel get what they call the Iron Dome missile defense system, which has helped Israel protect itself. He didn't want Israel to in any way expand or, um, you know, these ideas that there are biblical claims and, you know, Israel and Israelis do have housing needs like anybody. And the I, he was he was, if I recall correctly, he would condemn Israel for building a building even in Jerusalem or for in any way, shape or form growing in a normal way that a country does, you know, with a with a growing population. He wanted Israel to be small and you know obedient to america i don't think he wanted israel to be destroyed i mean he did help them get the iron dome so that's what obama did trump as you noted correctly was very proactive in supporting israel he helped them to for build peace with four countries you know uh yes i believe um you know bahrain the saudis morocco sudan That was the Abraham Accords. He moved the embassy um, to Jerusalem, and that was very respectful. It wasn't just a matter of moving it. It was respecting Israel's autonomy to, you know, to to proclaim its own capital, which any sovereign nation has that right. And he did a lot, too, Trump, here in America. He 
Uh, he um, signed legislation that extended Title IX, I think it's Title IX protections, the, the protections to college students that prohibit discrimination based on race, creed, national origin. Jewish students and pro-Zionist students had not been protected that way under the law, and Trump changed that. Um, he also changed, uh, he helped to change the food labeling laws so that foods that are grown by farmers in the West Bank, um, which religious Jews call Judea and Samaria because it's part of biblical Israel, was part of biblical Israel, those products can now say made in Israel. Um, so, so he did a great deal. Yes, he did in terms of policy. And we know, as you said so aptly, that the media like to spin it that Trump uh, is whatever, winking and nodding and sending little messages to white supremacists and all this stuff, which I never bought. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> call me naive, but I really don't think, first of all, the man has Jewish grandchildren. I never believed that. Um, I don't think he was se sending secret signals to white supremacists and you know, I, I really think that's generally speaking uh, just a bunch of BS. I agree with you. But I mean, you know, our Jewish people, just because, you know, they're out to get us doesn't mean we're not a little paranoid sometimes. And, you know, I think we can be, I honestly think we can be easily spooked. And I think that, um, you know, the media did that, with, you know, with Trump. You know, they, they tried to, you know, spook people into thinking, look, that he was Trump was a racist. Of course, that was the main thing they told us for four years. And right. I don't think Trump's particularly a virulent racist either. You know, I don't I think it would have come out, you know, through the years of his dealings in New York, if he had done something, you know, really racist, you know, toward a black person or, you know, I, I just I never really saw what the evidence of that was either. But it was always the same thing that they told, you know, black people, right. they told Jewish people, he's sending secret signals. You right. know? The, the, the most vulnerable groups that they think they can play into, they say this, and it begs the question. Now, we're going to talk about, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, but what you just said is very, I'm glad you mentioned it, that they're always, they being the left, preying on these groups that they need to win elections, be it black people or Jewish people. And mm -hmm. for them to say that Trump, He's a he doesn't like Jewish people. He's a Zionist and he's this and he's that. It's like, wait a minute, where is the proof? He his grandchildren are Jewish. So why would why do you think he would come out and do all these bad things that they're saying? And there is no evidence, none whatsoever, yes. but yet and still people will buy they into it, it and you know and believe well, it. One of my favorite facts about Trump was always that he integrated Palm Beach. He had a club, and I, if you, before all, you know, there was the craze to hate Trump. Vanity Fair, I think this was like in the '90s, did a big article all about this: how Trump went to court to, either, you know, Palm Beach was this old, very waspy, you know, stronghold in Florida. I remember right. as a little kid even going to Florida, and in those days, even as recently as the 1980s. I don't think it was legally official, but there was unofficial discrimination. You know, you as a Jewish person, you knew there were certain clubs you didn't bother applying to. And I'm sure it was the same for black people there. And exactly. Trump actually went to court to integrate. And this is all on the record. It's I read the article a couple of years ago. He took he, he you know, he took the case to court because there were people trying to. Of course, they they were 
coming up with other excuses. I forget what it was, but they were effectively blocking him from integrating Palm Beach because he his point was anyone who has the money to join my club, I want them to join my club, you know. So under his ownership, this club, this, this country club, you know, became much more Jewish and black friendly and, you know, so, you know, if anything, I think he, he, you know, I'm not trying to say he's Martin Luther King. I'm just saying that if anything, you know, if you look back on his life, that's one concrete example of him. That doing they don't more than want, right. Person never did, you know, to integrate. That they don't want to talk about, but they keep saying that he's, like you said, he's done a lot for African-Americans. But when it comes to those types of issues, they want to make it seem as if though he's this bad person and they're always preying on these groups and for some reason they will believe it and then you will have people within the groups the talking heads who will go along with it and say oh yeah that's true he is he is a zionist he is a, 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 a white supremacist anti-zionist mm -hmm. right yeah. anti-zionist i'm sorry anti-zionist mm -hmm. he is and it's like no that's that's not true at all but they mm -hmm. will go out on a limb and they will stand behind it and say it is so but again you look at the record as to what the person has done but it's hard to see the record when you have the media who will not show the records they will run with their lies and their rhetoric which is yep. not true and it's, yeah, it's I mean, unfortunate that said look i mean trump said some things recently that i myself didn't love you know i think he i think that he tends to speak pretty candidly um, he, you know, he's been to two major Jewish organizations not too long ago, the Zionist Organization of America, which is the most, you know, strongly Zionist, you know, on the right, you know, right side of the political spectrum, conservative organization in the country, pretty much. They honored him with an award for his support of Israel. And in that, at that evening, he kind of sort of chastised the Jewish community for not appreciating him more and supporting him more. And a lot of people took offense to that because, and I could understand why in the sense that, look, I think when you get into generalizing about any group of people, right? I mean, you, you run into trouble because the truth is a lot of Jewish people do appreciate Trump and, you know, we may not be in the majority, but we exist and we're, we have a voice and we're part of the Jewish community, you know, Trump supporter Jews. And so he kind of didn't account for us. And I think that, you know, people just didn't like the feeling of being lectured, et cetera. So, you know, I mean, there are some things that I don't totally agree with. You know, I don't agree with his meeting with Kanye and Nick, whoever that guy was, you know, who really apparently is a, like a, a white supremacist believing person. I don't understand why Trump did that. I kind of feel like sometimes I feel like Trump could cultivate a little snobbery, honestly. Rob. I think he thinks that, you know, anybody <laughs> who's a celebrity, he should just you know, meet with them and give them a chance. And, you know, that I, my guess is that that's what he was, where he was coming from. Like, let's just hear what they have to say kind of thing, at, which isn't the same as endorsing what they're saying, you know, but. But of course I, it gives the media fodder to run with and say, see that we told yeah, you so. He's this yeah, and he's that. Right. Knowing that it's not true. It's well, not true at all. Probably, but it was a little puzzling to me, to be honest with you, that right on the heels of Kanye tweeting those things, which were, you know, look, I mean, just because Kanye tends to be on our side of the political aisle, I, you know, I, I, mean, don't, th I don't think he's on our side at all. I think the, I don't think I he's think, on anyone's side. I think he's right. kind of losing. He's on it. his own, right. He's on his own side. But the way yeah. I viewed it was that Kanye, that, that the president, 
uh, and I don't want to stay on this too long because I want to talk about the other matters, is that he saw a friend who needed help. He mm. wanted to help him completely unaware. And this is where mm. I think Trump, you know, he, he needs better handlers that he was bringing this other person with him. So, of course, Trump sees this and he's thinking, oh, well, I'll be able to explain it away. You can't explain it away, especially when you have a media who's coming after you. I would have just said, no, well, you know, we're not going to be able to meet because I was meeting with you. But, you know, he took the meeting. He had the fallout. And that's what happened. But back mm -hmm. to what we were saying as a whole as to how the media is so successful and labeling and then individuals. And now you would think that is I, I don't know which president said this, that no greater ally has the United States had other than Israel and vice versa. But yet still, you have the media constantly attacking and more so now, it seems as if though they feel comfortable and at ease attacking Israel. Before, I would say the 2020 election, that was unheard of. You would, some people might, but when Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar came into power, <laughs> came into power, into office. It was just like, boom, it just went crazy. Mm -hmm. And now Joe Biden, I mean, look at what he said about Rashida Tlaib, some of the things he said, and she's accused. It's, it's crazy land. I don't understand it. I think we need to wake up because if we forget history, we're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. We will repeat it. I know. And, uh, go ahead. Sorry. We're talking about history. You know, one thing I, you mentioned Ukraine during the break, and I did want to say, as long as we're on the subject of the Holocaust, you know, Zelensky stood there and told the Israeli Knesset that Israelis should treat Ukrainians the way Ukrainians treated Jews during World War II. He said this a few months ago when he was asking, really, I think, trying to manipulate Israel into joining this war. I know this is a big subject, but let me just say for the record, um, Ukrainians were Nazi allies in World War II, and some of the worst mass murder of World War II took place in Ukraine. And my point in saying this is not to blame people there now for what, you know, others in Ukraine did at that time. That wouldn't be right, you know. But he, Zelensky is talk about historical revisionism. I mean, that's basically... It's, it's coming pretty close to Holocaust denial uh, to stand there and completely um, just simply lie about history. Um, and so I think it's important when you, you know, to just say that what happened happened. 1.5 million Jews were slaughtered in Ukraine. And um, it was one of the worst scenes of mass murder, genocide to take place during World War II. And what really creeps me out, I mean, whatever you believe about the current situation, um, you're entitled to your views. It's, it's uh, a complicated matter. And we've talked about it, I, you know, but when I hear that kind of complete denial of history, it's very alarming to me. I don't think we can make sober, rational assessment of anything that's happening now if we just don't challenge total distortion of the historical record. So I did want to say that. Right. Well, we're going to pick this up on the other side of the break. And at which point we're going to get to Benjamin Netanyahu. Is he good for Israel? What he's done and what he's going to do now. You're tuned in to After Dark with Robin Andrew. 
with my special host, Heather Robinson. We'll be back on the other side of the break. Thank you. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best: freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America out loud talk radio. And we're back on the last half of After Dark with Robin Andrew and my special guest host, Heather Robinson. And we're talking about Benjamin Netanyahu and what he has done for Israel. And now he's prime minister for the third term. And as you all know, many people had written his obituary saying that it was over, that he was done, he was kaput, they wanted to get rid of him. And not only that, the accusations and the charges that they're leveling against him to try and stop him is so akin to what's happening to Donald Trump. They're trying to stop him at every angle, and it begs the question, maybe he's he's what Israel need at this place in time uh, if they're trying to stop him. And there are a lot of people that are trying to stop him. I look here in the United States in the position that we are taking on Israel. And I, I can't believe it because never in my lifetime, since I've, I've, I've watched this relationship, that it seems as if though people are so openly against Israel and some of the things that they say, especially coming from the squad, Rashida Tlaib and Ilion Omar, they have been extremely, their comments have been extremely vitriolic toward Israel and their tweets. And it's as if though there is no shame and there's no one to hold them accountable. And when they all when they are called out about it, the media just like dances around it. But the moment they want to label Trump an anti-Zionist, racist, and that he's doing all these bad things for Israel, you will hear about it nonstop. Look at the meeting that he had with Kanye West. Now, I think he was ill-advised, but I also think, as I said in the last segment, but I think he was trying to help a friend. But the media didn't care. Gave, it gave them fuel to say, you see that? We told you so. He's a racist. And he's, he's anti-Jewish. And he doesn't like the Jewish people. And it's like, but rem- remember... He's a person who put, as I said in the last segment, he moved the embassy to Jerusalem. So it does beg the question, what is it about our media that despises Israel so, so to speak? And as I was saying to Heather, is Netanyahu, is, is he good for Israel at this point in time? And what has he done for Israel? Heather, give us your thoughts. Well, Rob, I think it's an interesting parallel uh, between 
Trump and Netanyahu in terms of their being under fire from the left continuously and and from the media in their countries respectively. I do think there's a comparison to be made. Uh, that said, I I would argue that much as I support President Trump's you know good work and a lot of you know what he did, I think he does make some decisions that make it easy uh, for the media sometimes. But anyway, I think Netanyahu is a real historic figure. Uh, he's been you know, wonderful for Israel in many ways in terms of its defense, uh, which has to be its number one priority. But also, he's been a big, uh, he's done a lot to help Israel's economy, to help Israel become a leader in the world uh, of tech innovation and startups. Uh, he's, my understanding is that his policies are very business friendly. And that's a departure to some degree, uh, because Israel was really founded as kind of a socialist leaning country. And if anything, they've gone more uh, capitalist. Uh, they were never, uh, you know, strictly socialist, but I think that they were kind of closer, you know, on the continuum towards socialism because the early Zionist pioneers were farmers and they founded collective farms, you know, and a lot of them um, subscribed to, you know, more liberal politics. But I would say through the, the decades, uh, you know, it's always been a free country and full of a lot of creative people. And when you have freedom and creativity, you have enterprise. And there's been a lot of growth in Israel's uh, tech sectors and also, you know, entertainment and the arts and other kinds of business. And, and Netanyahu has very much encouraged this, is my understanding. So Israel's emerging as a real powerhouse economically. And I think a lot of uh, analysts feel that that's part of the reason for Netanyahu's success and part of the reason for a greater peace now. I mean, there's not perfect peace there, but the Abraham Accords, etc., that was a great accomplishment of the Trump administration. But my understanding is that some analysts feel what, what set the stage for that leadership was uh, Israel's greater financial success and, and tech um, progress and that they have so much to offer their neighbors in terms of environmental uh, advances in farming and water sharing. You know, these other countries need water, clean water. They need technology. And Israel has a tremendous amount to offer them. And so, you know, I mean, a lot of times necessity is the mother of invention. And I think sometimes necessity is the mother of peace, maybe, because it's like if people realize that there's advantage to themselves and, you know, that they can do better if they're peaceful, then they want to be more peaceful, right? I mean, they want more opportunity. And Netanyahu has tried to um, to, to bring Israel forward that way. So I think he's very good for their country. I think most Israelis do know it. And they know there's a vocal and strident left in Israel that does not like him. But he has endured, and I think he's you know, going to go down in history as a great leader. And that was one of the other questions I was going to ask you. Do you would you herald him as being one of the greatest leaders in Israel, considering yeah. everything that he's done? And again, he's serving his third term as mm -hmm. prime minister, despite the opposition, despite people wanting to stop him. Apparently, people feel that he's good for Israel. Yes. Well, I think you know he has a way of cobbling together coalitions of people which is needed in Israel because they're, they're Knesset in the way that the government is structured. You know, it's sort of like ours, but it's not identical to ours. And my understanding is that we have the two-party system here, which makes it, you kind of have to get on board one or the other to have any power. And in Israel, 
they have labor and Likud, which kind of roughly mirror our Democrats and Republicans, but they also have a lot of small parties that do, some of them are ultra-religious, some of them are ultra-left or socialists or communists, and they do have some power, some voice, you know, unlike here, frankly, it's pretty hard for anybody who's not one or the other, you know, Mm-hmm. to really have much effect on policy, but they do, they, you know, and so he has ways of, you know, he, he's, he's a good uh, uh, strategist and he works with different people in the religious communities and the secular communities and he gets, gets coalitions together. And that's my understanding is that's part of how he has returned to power. So he's, you know, he's a very, very smart man. What do you think his standing legacy will be overall? Well, I think he will be the the prime minister who I remember, you know, that he refused to cave to a lot of American pressure, actually, back in the 90s during the Oslo Peace Accords, his first term as prime minister. You know, President Clinton, Bill Clinton, was pressing Israel, really squeezing Israel to make peace and carve itself up and give up more and more land to the Palestinian Authority led by Yasser Arafat, who, as you note, Rob, retired, you know, died with billions of dollars in his bank account. He was corrupt. He was preaching war to his people the whole time in Arabic. And uh, Netanyahu knew it. You know, he would not cave. He would not give up more and more land for peace because he knew that the the end game for Arafat and his cohorts was not uh, peace. And so he lost the prime ministership then. So I think his legacy will be as a principled leader, you know, and a smart one who he has not, you know, he's not someone from that. I remember, I remember that distinctly, that that's why he was voted out, because the Israelis at that time, like most of the world, were very lulled by this notion that the uh, Palestinians, even their leaders, wanted peace and all it would take was land and that this was not an existential conflict about hatred or, you know, that it was just about land and borders and that Israel could carve itself up and make itself smaller in exchange for peace, which was at that time anyway, it was a, it was a falsehood. It simply wasn't true. As Israel gave more and more, there was more and more suicide bombing and the leadership was preaching war. So Netanyahu, my point in, in saying this is to remember that he, you know, if he had wanted only to stay in power, he would have done that deal. He would not, you know, he dug in, he pointed out that the Palestinians weren't meeting their obligations. And, you know, the Israelis voted him out because of that. But he clearly he has Israel's best interests and security at heart. And he's not willing to do anything to to compromise that. So I think he'll be remembered as someone who stands number one for a secure Israel and a proud, strong Israel. And he's, you know, done a lot in terms of uh, the tech side and and bolstering and, and growing Israel's economy, which has, I think, translated into better prospects for peace. He's he along with Trump, I mean, with the Abraham Accords, they kind of found a way around the old model of bribing uh, terrorists in hopes that they'll get peace. I think that 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 
is model doesn't work. We've seen it fail again and again. And maybe, you know, what I've read of their thinking with that, and I think this is part of Netanyahu's legacy of pragmatism and strength, is just be strong, build your economy, strengthen your borders, strengthen your military. If you're attacked, fight back hard, you know, batten down the hatches, Israel first, you know, is his legacy. You know, I think he is kind of, uh, dare I say, a Trumpian leader in that way. And I think he's also more savvy, you know, though he's not somebody who frankly puts his foot in his mouth as much, you know, as our (laughs) President Trump did. So I think his legacy is as a strong leader and a pragmatic and, uh, you know, very smart leader. Right. Now, do you think that Bennett, the one before him, that he that he moved the needle at all during his short term as prime minister? I mean, my honestly, two, definitely I think, two different styles, two different styles, yeah, I think, of leadership. You know, I, mean, I think that, that uh, he did all right. But I think that, you know, it's good that Bibi's back. Mm-hmm. And it seems that a lot of other people like in, in Israel think the same thing because they brought him back after many thought that this was it. And then all of the investigations and the charges that were leveled against him, people thinking, well, this will stop him. This will surely stop him. As I said, the same thing with Trump. But, but he's back, you know, he's back. And we'll speak a little bit about his, his history as a whole, because you had said in once before when you came on the show about his brother, who was involved, uh, I think, in one of the wars, and he was actually killed, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Bibi Netanyahu's older brother, Yoni Netanyahu, was the commander of the Entebbe uh, hostage rescue op- operation. I believe it was either in the 70s or the early 80s when uh, I think it was at the time of Idi Amin in Uganda. Uh, the PLO um, they they took a, a plane hostage and they were they were killing hostages and it was a terrible terrible situation. And um, there was an Israeli commando raid and it was successful, led by B- Yoni Netanyahu. But he died in the raid. He was one of the the heroes who died. And so that's Benjamin Netanyahu's older brother. And I know he has a very deep reverence for him and um, for his patriotism. And uh, that's one of the many reasons I think that Netanyahu would never do anything to compromise Israel's integrity or security. Um, so yes, that's, and there are some films about that if people are interested in. I know on Amazon Prime, you know, I've been meaning to watch, there's a, there's a, you know, a film about Yoni Netanyahu, who, who's considered a hero in Israel. What do you think, having the, the embassy moved to Jerusalem from mm-hmm. Tel Aviv, what was the importance of that? Because many presidents had said they were going to do it, but mm-hmm. it never happened. Trump came yeah. in and mm-hmm. he made it happen. So what yeah. was the was there like a significance for the Jewish people for that to happen? Yes, yes, Rob, it was. It was significant beyond just the physical change. It was very symbolic because from the from the early days of Israel, Jerusalem and its status has been a point of contention. Um, I, I believe it was during the uh, the Six Day War that um, Jerusalem was was reunited for quite a while. Uh, East Jerusalem was Arab controlled. And of course, Jerusalem is the centerpiece of the Jewish religion. It's it's all through our Hebrew Bible, which you mm-hmm. guys call the Old Testament. It is the centerpiece of, of Israel. It's the capital of our Jewish state, you know, um, in Jesus's time, you know, before then, I mean, it was, it was the, 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 
capital of the Jews. It was, you know, it's where our, you know, holiest site is. And, um, you know, it's, it's so in modern times, Israelis have been denied by most of the world, the respect to, of, you know, the acknowledgement of our, what the capital is, you know, of Israel, which is like, it would be like, you know, for any country, if, if, most of the world refused to acknowledge that Washington DC was the capital of the United States and put their embassies in LA or something, you know, it's, it's a diss, you know, it's like, you know, and so that was the significance was saying, you know, we understand that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And right. And well, right. And, and you had many people saying it shouldn't happen and they had announced that there would be war and that and, and that didn't take place either. There was no war. You know, mm-hmm. it moved on. People didn't like it, but it was that was it. Trump said he was going to do it and he did it. Mm-hmm. So, again, you have the media who always get people up all revved up as to what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And it's always something negative. And we mm-hmm. saw that it was quite the contrary. Nothing. No, that's not to say something won't happen later on, but we're not looking for that to take place. But Israel has been an ally to the United States for such a long time. And when you look at the history, which I don't think people are aware of the history, they are, they're, they're history revisionists, as we mentioned in the first half of the show, that's mm-hmm. taken place. And you have this younger generation that are oblivious to all the history of the United States and Israel. And it's Mm -hmm. unfortunate because we need people to understand how these relationships are so intertwined and connected. Mm -hmm. What do you think that our leaders could learn from Benjamin Netanyahu, if anything, as to how he's worked with the the Palestinians and others that are there for peace? Mm. Well, I think that he is a practical man. I think that his approach is not to try and uh, launch major, you know, wars that aren't, you know, necessary for the basic survival of Israel, you know, but instead has tried to listen when, when Israel has to, when Israel's under attack, unfortunately, they, they respond, they guess, you know, they need to, but they don't try to, I think they've given up trying to, uh, you know, they're dealing with a lot of people who are deeply entrenched in their beliefs, many of which are fanatical beliefs. And I think Israel has taken the, the, the approach that they just have to kind of build a fortress of a state and just defend themselves until such time as their neighbors are really wanting peace. And and progress, you know, put Israel first. Uh, the economy is more robust under Netanyahu, and you know, there's been tremendous investment in tech and in healthcare. And Israel's, you know, a lot of Israeli scientists have done a lot of inventing, uh, and they've been able to sell and export and share technology. You know, water. Uh, I know they have major projects and reservoirs and treaties with. Jordan and Egypt and other countries around them that need fresh water. So, you know, I think I think that really the, the other similarity between Netanyahu and Trump is the sort of let's work on ourselves approach. Let's develop our own country's resources and, you know, economy. Let's invest in our people. Let's secure our border. Let's be strong. It's kind of like, you know, you know, at the risk of a simple analogy, it's kind of like being the person who works out and goes to the gym and works hard and 
tries to, you know, start a side hustle to make more money and be stronger instead of getting in fights with people in other neighborhoods and thinking that that's going to make them stronger. You know, let's develop ourselves. Let's be strong so that, you know, nobody's going to even think about messing with us. And if they do, you know, we'll put them in their place, but we're not going to go looking for fights. We're not going to go meddling in other people's business. We're going to work on ourselves. That's what I think Netanyahu has done. And that's what I, I think Trump tried to do. And I, I think that's a good model, you know, for leadership in this time. You know, <laughs> don't try to change other people. You can't solve their problems. You know, you can't. I mean, maybe if you're right. strong enough, you can help them, you know, somewhat if they're willing to help themselves. And I don't think there's anything wrong with putting your country first, albeit we, for some reason, think that we shouldn't do it. And if we do do it, we think that we are racist and we're horrible. It's like, but you have no other country. Why not put your country first? It's the same principle, I think, Rob. It's kind of like, how do you help anyone else if you can't help yourself? If Mm -hmm. your life's a mess, how are you going to help somebody else? Let's get real. You know, I mean, I think I do think there's an analogy to to life, you know, if you're a mess, if you're, you have no boundaries, you know, you, you're being encroached upon, you're overextending your credit, you're overspending, you're, you know, out of shape, you're this, you're that. I mean, how well can you really help anybody else? Right. You know, so I yeah, think he's think- you know, become more self-sufficient under Netanyahu. He's, he's, you know, he's got an ongoing war situation. Listen, it's not perfect. I'm not trying to paint a picture of perfection. He's under siege. They're all under siege there all the time. It's a tough neighborhood, you know. <laughs> tough neighborhood. They're, they're working on themselves. They're being strong. They're projecting strength. They're trying to, you know, be more prosperous and secure. And I think that that is what our leaders could could take a page from. Right. Well, thank you, Heather, for joining us tonight and breaking that all down, because I do believe that as time's gone by, people have forgotten and they don't remember. And if we don't remember history, we're doomed to repeat it. So we have to make certain that the real news, the real stories are out there and that people don't forget it. And we have to talk about them over and over again. So thank you again for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Always wonderful talking to you. Happy New Year. I yes. know we're <laughs> But hey, we can still say it. So you're tuned in to After Dark with Robin Andrew with my special guest host tonight, Heather Robinson of the New York Post. Remember, we're on at a new time at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. And as my good friend Andrew would always say, stand for something or fall for nothing. God bless. Good night. and Hope to see you soon. Thank you.